Thank you, Brother Lowell, Noel, and uh, thank you for uh, that brief introduction. They say that um, the more important you are, the briefer the introduction. So, <laughs> you know, like if president walks into the room, they say, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, and that's all you need, right? But um, that, that's just being tongue-in-cheek there. But um, it is good to be back here at uh, the Fellowship Church, church where I cut my teeth in ministry as uh, an intern here way back 55 years ago, fall of 1968. I can hardly believe it myself. And uh, I learned uh, just a lot of things about ministry as I got involved under the tutelage of Pastor Robison at the time, remember, those of you who were here. And um, then, of course, this church became a vital sending church, both for myself as a single and then later when I picked up my wife a year later and went back to the Philippines. We served, uh, just to refresh your memories, my wife and I served with Christar, the name of the organization, um, in the Philippines for 23 years. First of all, teaching at a school for missionary kids, and then later going to another island to begin uh, learning a new language and church planting on that island. And then we were called back to our office, which at that time was in Reading, Pennsylvania, where we now live. Uh, we're there for 10 years in a broader capacity in a regional directorship and, and later uh, responsibility for all of our missionaries on different fields around the world, some 27 or so. Um, and then um, we also spent another four or five years in Hong Kong after that stint in the office in Reading and were there four or five years and began to uh, find some ministry there, not to local Chinese so much as to Muslims and Hindus who would uh, move there to become involved in business and things of that nature. So the Far East is kind of our bailiwick and where we feel most comfortable. Um, and, and so that's the way it was. And uh, that brings us to where we are now. Uh, I've served in some other capacities too, but I won't bore you with all the details there. Now, one time when I was here speaking, when we were living in Hong Kong, I was asked to speak Sunday morning, like I'm doing now, and then also Sunday evening. And I had a slideshow at that time. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, it's Glenn, I don't know if Glenn was here at the time, but somebody was operating the soundboard back there, and he said, just bring the flash drive with your PowerPoint on it, and we'll plug it in, and you know, we'll, away we'll go. So uh, I gave it to him about five to six in the evening. The meeting was to start at six o'clock. So I came up here and fooled around with the mic. I think I was standing down there, and he goes and he says, he plugs it in, he says, come back here. So I went back, I said, what's the matter? He says, there's nothing on there. I said, yes, there is. I said, right here, here's the icon, it says, you know, whatever it was. And he says, yeah, but look over here, it says zero kilobytes. <laughs> and he asked me, he said, well, what'd you do? And I said, where, he said, where'd you copy it from? I said, I copied it from my desktop. He said, that's the problem. He said, all you get is an icon. You have to get the file. Your computer knows where to find the file. My computer doesn't. So uh, anyhow, what I said was uh, that evening, and we're going to do the same this morning, uh, a slideshow, but without the pictures. You say, oh, how boring is that, you know? And uh, this morning, we're going to do the same with a, another passage of Scripture. And I'll tell you why I decided to do it without pictures. There's a reason for it. But, um, but, but the message this morning, the title that I've given it is, Are You Simply Making a Living or Are You Making a Difference? Or Are You Simply Making a Living or Are You Living to Make a Difference in God's Kingdom? And uh, so with that, we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read those first 11 verses because this is a setting for the challenge to us uh, this morning from God's Word. Luke chapter 5, very well-known passage. You'll recognize it. In fact, if you shut your Bibles and if I asked one of you to come up here and tell the story, you probably could. You know, you might miss a thing or two, but you could probably get it pretty well. 
which, by the way, is a great way to uh, share the gospel with people, is by uh, learning the stories of the life of Christ and sharing those with people and then saying, hey, what do you think? Entering into a discussion about what is taught there. But Luke chapter 5, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, verses 1 to 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And then the last verse, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It is an amazing story. Now, I'm going to uh, share with you five slides. Uh, these are going to be verbal, and uh, I said I would tell you why. The reason is because as I looked for pictures that would illustrate these five different parts of this story, I just came up. I said, that is, those are pathetic. I mean, they don't really catch the dynamism of what's going on here. So I thought, rather than do that, I'll just take you one slide at a time. There are five of them, then we'll be done. And ask you to imagine in your mind uh, what's going on here. Uh, so slide number one is, of course, at the seashore. And I want you to envision there's Jesus teaching. He's on the land. And there's a crowd of people around him pushing and shoving. They're trying to get close to him to hear what he's saying. Uh, the night before, uh, we find out that Jesus was involved in, a, in all evening long, uh, healing people, casting out demons, and things like that. And then he slipped away early in the morning to pray, and they came looking for him. They want more. But now Jesus moves to the other mode. He's not now doing miracles. He's teaching, and we find this over and over again in, uh, in Jesus' ministry. He heals, he casts out demons, he raises the dead, but then it always comes back to a focus on teaching the word of God. And that's what you and I need to be involved in. Both preaching to ourselves when we do wrong and also teaching and helping others to learn. So anyhow, there they are pushing and shoving, trying to get up close to Jesus. Jesus, you can envision him backing away and now he's up to the, into the water uh, and, and, and you know, almost uh, ready to, well, he's looking for another way to find a place to sit and teach because they're just, they keep pressing forward. That's the picture I want you to have in your mind. Now, why? Were they so interested in Jesus' teaching? What is there about this man, Jesus, that caught their attention and get, kept it for a long time? By the way, I don't think he spoke you know, just for 25 or 30 minutes. I think he spoke for a long time. Did you know, this is a little aside, that it's scriptural, that if you want to be encouraged, you want to listen to a long message, you know that? If you look at Acts 15, verse 32, it says, Judas and Silas came after the Jerusalem council. They brought the report of the findings of the council they read the letter to them, and then it says they stayed and they encouraged them with a lengthy message. 
So buckle up your seatbelts here and get ready. No, I'll try to. My wife's out here and she'll go like this, you know, if it gets too long. Um, why, why were they so interested in what he had to say? Well, first of all, you need to know that this came after a period of 400 silent years. Remember that? The intertestament period, there was no message from God during that time. Prophets, prophets, prophets up until the time of, of the captivity. But after the captivity, it seemed like God's not speaking anymore. What's going on? And now comes John the Baptist and announces, he's the forerunner, right? And he says, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not, I'm not even worthy to untie. And then comes Jesus. And the people are amazed, a word from God. Only this is not through a prophet. This is the one who is the what? The word himself. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine that. Jesus Christ, the word of God. Not coming through prophets now, but in, form, in human form, speaking to the people. So that got their, their attention. It also says that when Jesus taught, the crowds were amazed. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now, what did the scribes do? The scribes are all about quoting other authorities, right? Well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and then, but then there's Rabbi Hillel over here, and he says that, and they're trying to figure out which one is correct. But how did Jesus teach? He didn't say Rabbi Hillel says this and Rabbi so-and-so says that. He said, verily, verily, truly, truly. In other words, I am speaking truth. You need to listen to me. And the people did because he spoke with authority. Over and over again, we read that in Jesus' ministry. It was a shocking message. What did Jesus preach? Well, he had a very simple title to his message, like mine this morning, only his was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People had never heard this kind of, what do you mean, the kingdom of heaven? We thought that was in heaven, right? But Jesus says, no, it's right here. So repent, what does that mean? Turn from your evil ways, because God's kingdom is here, right here in your presence, and the king is speaking to you. Amazing. So it's no wonder that the people were just leaning on every word. Now they didn't like everything he had to say, and later on they rebelled against what he had to say. Nevertheless, it was the truth. It was God's word. So for these and other reasons, uh, the people are amazed. No wonder they're crowding around him to see him as he teaches the word of God to them. Listening, trying to understand what it is he's saying. That's scene number one, slide one. Okay, on the beach, there's Jesus. Jesus is in focus and the crowd. Slide two is just a subtle difference. Now Jesus and the crowd are going into a soft focus. You know how they do it in movies, right? You can focus in on the background or you can focus on the foreground. Now the, the background goes into a soft focus and the sharp focus now is on uh, two boats and two or more fishermen who are doing what? They're mending their nets or washing their nets. Same Greek word means both, mending, washing. If they need to be mended, they mended them. If they needed washing, they needed washing. Why would you wash nets? They're in the water all day long. Well, they're drag nets, and they pick up junk, you know, from the bottom of the, of the lake, you know, seaweed and stuff like that, so they have to clean them. Now, it's perfectly normal what they're doing, right? And we would not take them to task for doing what they're doing. They're busy, busy, busy doing that, which is their job. It's their profession, just like all of us, right? We all have work to do. Now, I think about uh, some years ago, there was this guy, remember? The, the one about the Dunkin' Donuts? You got one right over here, right? Remember the guy would come up? Four o'clock in the morning, 3.30. He would say, uh, gotta make the donuts. Gotta make the donuts, right? Uh, there's work to be done. Uh, or um, we, we were in uh, Mongolia one time, and uh, we got a taxi driver from uh, the place where we were staying out to the airport, and it was about a 45-minute drive. 
And on the way, we thought we'd try to talk to this Mongolian taxi driver. I didn't even know if he knew any English. Long story short, he knew English, and I was surprised. And we got talking about spiritual things. And he, talked, he mentioned that he had a Bible at home, which, you know, was amazing to me. I said, do you read the Bible? Have you read it? And he says, yes. All of it? Yes. I said, <laughs> you know, this Mongolian Buddhist uh, taxi driver. And I said, do you have a favorite book in the Bible that you enjoyed more than any others? And he said, yes, <laughs> which floored me more. And I'm just, you know, about dropping my teeth. If they were false teeth, they would have been on the floor. And I said, well, what is it? Well, he couldn't remember the name of the book. But I said, well, describe for me what's going on. And he described, he said, well, it's about rivers that flow into the ocean and they never stop, you know, and the ocean never fills up and the rivers never stop. I said, is it Ecclesiastes by any chance? Yes, yes, that's the one, Ecclesiastes. And I said, you know what the main theme of it is, right? It's vanity, all is vanities. And I said, why did you, why would that be your favorite book? And he says, because it describes my life. You know, I do the same thing day in and day out. I drive the cab, pick up people, come back, take them to their hotel, go out to the airport again, back and forth. And I said, yeah, it feels that way, doesn't it? And I said, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is describing people's lives, those who are without God. God not speaking into their lives, and it's just the dull routine of day after day doing what needs to be done, and there's nothing more than that. And he said, yeah, that's it. Fishermen, mending their nets, washing their nets by the shore there, and um, feeling like, you know, maybe they had a saying, like broken nets, broken nets catch no fish, right? Uh, there's never a free lunch. No such thing as a free lunch, we might say today. Or a rolling stone gathers no moss. Got to be busy, right? We lived in Hong Kong, and uh, when we would ask people, you know, how they were doing, especially pastors of churches, uh, I would tell Gene, I said, now watch this. I'm going to ask him how he is. And so you say, Leo Ma, Leo Ma, how are you doing? Uh, and then uh, the answer was always the same. Ho Mong, Ho Mong. Guess what that meant? Cantonese for very busy. Very busy. Now it's good for a pastor to be busy. Not saying that, you know, but it was an automatic response like there's something almost spiritual about being very busy. But the question this morning is not the busyness, but busy doing what? Or where is our focus? And so as you look at those two slides, the first one, the crowd listening to Jesus teach, and now the focus on the second slide with the fishermen mending their nets and all focused in on that. I think they were only a, maybe 10, 20, 30 yards away from where Jesus was teaching. Why weren't they listening? Why didn't they stop mending their nets and go listen to Jesus teach? To remind you of somebody else, I'm not going to go into it this morning because the message would be too long, but you remember Mary and Martha, right? Martha, very busy. Homong, <laughs> if you were in Hong Kong. But Jesus said, no, Martha, that's, you know, wonderful what you're doing, but you're missing an opportunity here, and Mary has spotted what's important to do, and she's doing it, and that won't be taken away from her. And so the question this morning is, are we busy making a living, or are we living to make a difference? And so which of those two would you say, and I don't need a, you know, a show of hands here, but just ask yourself the question, which of those two slides better represents your life right now, honestly? Taking time to listen, adequate time to listen to God's word, or busy with the push and shove of life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hard to do that sometimes. The word of God gets squeezed out of our lives, doesn't it? 
slide three. Third slide. This slide focuses in on the boat, one boat now, and there are two men in the boat. You remember Jesus had asked Peter if he could step into the boat because the people were crowding him, and then he sat down in the boat and he, put, he said, you know, just pull up a little bit away from the shoreline, and he sat down and taught the, uh, the people that were there. And so it's now just Jesus and Peter. And uh, it doesn't tell us how much longer Jesus spoke or taught them, but he wrapped up his message, dismissed the people, and then the picture that I want you to see is that now Jesus swivels in his seat and turns around, and now he's face to face with Peter. Now it's just Jesus and Peter. <laughs> It'd be a little scary, right? And what does he say to Peter? He says to Peter uh, in verse 4, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now you know the story. Peter is right back at Jesus with a response, right? He says, Master, or Sir. He says, Sir, you don't understand. We've been at it all night. We've fished the whole night. We've worked hard. In fact, it says those exact words. We worked hard all night, and what? Result? Nada. Caught nothing. Zippo. Not one little fish squirming in the net. That's pretty amazing to fish the whole night, professional fishermen, and not catch one fish. And so you catch, I want you to catch that tone in Peter's voice as he responds that way to Jesus. It's like, he didn't say this, I mean, these words are not found in the scripture, but it may be something like, okay, Lord, you know, you're about teaching and preaching and you do a great job, but you know what? I'm a professional fisherman. I think I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this all my life. And guess what? The fish just ain't biting tonight. Furthermore, remember, he's been at it all night, right? So is he, you know, alert and awake? Probably a little tired, right? And, um, and, and so I think that what he was expecting was that Jesus would finish teaching the people, and then he would dismiss them, and then he'd say, okay, let's go home and get some rest, right? And I'm sure that's what Peter is thinking as he says, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought we were going home. <laughs> I thought it's time to pack it up. You know, I was on the night shift and caught nothing. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? He said, launch out into the deep water and let down your nets. And he didn't stop there, right? What are the last three words? For a catch. He wasn't just saying, let's try it again. Go on out into, maybe you were in too shallow, maybe you need to get out into deeper water and let down your nets. And let's just see what happens, okay? No, he says, let down your nets for a catch. God, when he speaks, speaks with authority. And Jesus, speaking to Peter with authority, says, you get out there and do what I say, and you will see what happens. And so Peter, for once, gives the right response. He says, but at your word, or I will do as you say and let down the nets. That's the best response we can have, right? Regardless of our feelings, we're tired, we're weary, maybe we haven't had any success in whatever area of ministry God has entrusted to us, and we say, Lord, <laughs> I don't know, let's pack it up. It's not, this thing's not working. But Jesus comes to us precisely at that moment of our weakness, when we're tired and our strength is gone. What did Paul said? When I am weak, then I am strong, because of the power of Christ working within me. And that's where Christ wants us to get to. 
to the point where we're not depending on our own resources, our own abilities, you know, however wonderful they may be, degrees that we may have, educated as we are. He says, just do as I say. Be obedient. Remember the words of Zechariah the prophet to the children of Israel when they came back from the captivity. And they got discouraged because the people all around them were saying, eh, you can't build this temple or this altar is going to, you know, a little fox jumps on it, it's going to be destroyed. And they discouraged the people from building, and the people stopped building for quite a long time. But Zechariah came along and encouraged them with the word of the Lord, and it said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The spirit of God is always at work, and we need to then be in step with him. So when he says, go, we go. <laughs> When he says, do this, we do that. But too often, we just haven't taken the time to hear his word to us, have we? Well, there's the slide number three then. The crowd's in the background, and now Jesus is alone with Peter in the boat. They're out in the deep, and he says, let down your nets for a catch. By the way, God is not looking for your best. You know that? God's not looking for you to do your best. He doesn't say, well... Come on, come on, you can do better than that. Let's try it again. Uh, all right, that's pretty good. Come on, you can do better than that. Okay, that's your best. He's not looking for us to do our best. Rather, Jesus is looking not for what we can do for him, but what he can do in and through us. The power of God resident within us, changing us, and then using us to minister to others is what counts. Not our abilities, not our great efforts that we might put forth. So sometimes we need to just relax and listen for God's voice and then walk in obedience to what he reveals to us. Slide number four. I call this one shock and awe in a boat, in this little fishing boat, right? Now, these fishing boats weren't like a little rowboat. They were bigger than that. You know, we have stories of, you know, Jesus and all of his disciples in the boat, right? And a storm comes up. So it's, a, you know, it's a bigger boat. And... Uh, and so why do I call it shock and awe? Well, what happened next when Peter let down those, that net was actually very shocking. It was amazing. Because immediately the net was filled with fish. It's like they're there, you know, kind of, you know, I know I'm not a fisherman. Anybody here a fisherman? Are you a fisherman? Okay, so, you know, have you had the experience where you're there fishing and you're kind of, you know, you're waiting for that bite, right? And all of a sudden you get a big bite and boom, you know, the, the line pays out, right? Because this big fish is latched onto it. Well, it's the same thing, only this time it's not a fishing line, it's a whole net. Now, the whole net just sort of goes woof down to the bottom. And the net, and, and, the, and the boat, you know, almost capsizes, right? And uh, these are fairly good-sized boats, and so, you know, and they're working, Peter's working, and I, I imagine Andrew with him. Peter, remember, Peter and Andrew are brothers, they're fishermen, and James and John are also brothers and also fishermen. So four of the twelve disciples are fishermen by trade. So Peter's there, and he's struggling now to get this net in, and there's the others, James and John, are a little distance off. And he says, get over here, get over here, I need help. And so they come over in their boats. And they grab the other nets, too. There are more than one net. And they're all straining at the, at the nets to pull them on. And it says, both of the boats began to sink. It's like you can see the water level coming up to the edge of the boat. It's like, oh, what's going on? Shock and awe. They are amazed at the quantity of fish in the nets. This is no chance, you know, we struck it. We struck a whatever it is, a catch of fish. This is definitely a miracle. And um, nets begin to break, boats begin to sink. They're shocked because of the great quantity of fish. But now I want you to look at Peter. This is an amazing thing. 
You would think Peter, and Andrew, if he was with him, it doesn't say he was, but I imagine he probably was as a partner, and James and John, now they're all struggling with these nets, and their mouths are just agape, and you'd think, wow, this is fantastic. This is great. What does Peter do? Peter suddenly looks at Jesus. He falls to his knees in front of Jesus, and he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Couldn't get very far away because even though the boat may be a little bigger, it's still too close to be in the presence of God in his holiness. I think that what Peter had there was a very sudden flash and an insight. We are not just dealing with a great teacher here. Yes, we're amazed at his teaching. This is more than greatness. This is somebody who has the power over the elements, over the fish, over everything. We're in the presence of God. When you have that, that awareness, when that flat, we sang earlier that though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful men thy beauty may not, thy glory may not see, I think there was a flash there where Peter saw the glory of God. And then whenever that happens, we see our own sinfulness. Remember Isaiah? He, in chapter 6, he had a vision of God high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and there were seraphim shouting out, Glory, holy, holy, holy. And, and, and what did Isaiah do? Isaiah's response was the same as Peter's. He said, says, woe is me. Woe is me is not just a, a light term. It's like, I'm, 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 a dead, I'm dead meat. I'm dead meat. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And when we see the king, the Lord of hosts, in the person of Jesus in this case, we're, um, we are just dumbfounded at our own sinfulness and unworthiness of him. See, our, our best is not good enough for God. You may be here this morning. I don't know what your situation is spiritually. You may be thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty decent guy. I live a pretty decent life, and I, you know, I treat my wife well. I raise the kids as best I can and make money, pay for this, that, and the other thing, come to church regularly. And so that's kind of the best we have, right? God's not looking for that. He's looking for an acknowledgement that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what happened to Peter. And when he acknowledged that and saw that, the next thing we find is that Jesus says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is in the business of forgiving sins, of bringing us back into a right relationship with him, um, and forgiving us, cleansing us, reconciling us, restoring us, and granting us eternal life. And then he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for men. A little different Greek word that's used here, fishing for fish, is one thing. When you fish for fish, what do they do? You haul them in, they die, and you eat them, right? But when he says you're fishing for men, it's the opposite. It's gathering them for life, to eternal life. And so what Jesus is doing here is giving Peter a whole new outlook on life. He's saying, yeah, this miraculous catch of fish, it is something, isn't it? But I'm going to show you something far greater. Your life is going to be committed now to fishing for men. Peter moved from making a living to now living to make a difference. Even though there would be many steps in between, it's not you know, an uphill thing like this, okay, now he's seen the light, so it's gonna be a perfect advancement in, in his sanctification. No, there were many slips and stumbles, and Peter was a man who stuck his foot in his mouth and denied Jesus, and yet Jesus had given him this promise. You will be, from now on, fishing for men. So we go from shock and awe in the boat 
to the last slide. But I just want to ask you this question before we move to slide number five. Some of us have reached the point, and I trust probably most of you in this congregation, have come to the point where you've realized that you are a sinner and that you have come to Christ uh, for salvation and you've understood and learned, especially you're under the teaching of a pastor here who teaches you about not only salvation but sanctification and then service. And we learn then what God has done for us and what he's doing in and through us. But then it can be where we kind of stop there and say, ah, this is a good life now. You know, God is working in me and that's wonderful. Coming to church and doing things that are expected of me, living a good Christian life. And we can stop there. But there's one last slide that I want you to pay attention to and to listen to carefully. What's the last slide? Slide number five is Peter and his friends, they're now, Jesus is in the foreground, and Peter and his friends, probably Andrew, James, and John, maybe others too, I don't know. In the background now are a couple of uh, fishing boats, and they're just bubbling over with fish, right? Squirming around in the nets there and everything. They're in the background, but here's Jesus walking away and these men following him, and it says they left everything and followed him. Think of that picture in your mind now. Now, be honest with me. What do you think about that picture? What's the, one of the first things that enters your mind? Maybe the first thing. I don't know about you, but if I got a, I'm looking back in that softer focus background, I say, wait, 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 wait. Focus in on that back there a little bit. Let me see. Good night shirt. Look at all those fish. What are we doing walking away from the fish? Take them to the market, sell them, make some money. We can do all kinds of stuff. We can really help the missions project, right? <laughs> or the mission, or the, the church budget, or whatever the thing may be. But they don't do that. They don't do the thing that comes naturally to us. They have now seen Jesus for who he is, and Jesus said, follow me. And so they get up and follow him. So they just left everything to follow him. Talk about a radical decision, right? I don't know if any of you have ever read the book Radical by David Platt. He talks along those lines. <laughs> what do you do when Jesus calls you to just leave everything? I know there's all kinds of discussions and you have to parse that out and so on. But in this case, they were just willing to leave and to follow him. So in conclusion, I ask this question. Well, then, you know, what does God want from us? Uh, there's a beautiful verse in Proverbs 23, 26 where uh, the writer of the proverb says this, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. That's what God wants from us. He wants our heart, right? He says, just give me your heart. He says, listen to my word, give me your heart, and we'll take it from there, and I'll show you the path to take. Problem is, many of us don't come to that point of decision-making. What we do is, we come to the point of salvation and enjoying our salvation and even, you know, a degree of sanctification, but then we, we continue on with our lives as though not a lot has changed in terms of what we do or how we spend our time. You know how you can tell what your priorities are in life, right? Very simple, two things. How you spend your time and how you spend your money. Simple as that. So, you know, look at your calendar, see what you've got on your calendar or that you do that's not on the calendar. And, um, and look at your checkbook or your statement from your credit card thing and where are you spending your money? That's where your values are. And many Christians just continue on with those same values like life has never changed. But thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. But I'm going to live my own life and <laughs> continue to do what I want to do. After all, we are Americans and we do what we want, right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. But look at slide number five. Again, they left everything and followed him. They're now saying, hey... <laughs> 
fish, somebody else take care of them. We're following Jesus. We're going to learn from him. We're going to become, eventually, those fishers of men. I was uh, talking about this passage of scripture with my son. We have two sons, both live out in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, this was some time ago. And I said, what, what do you think made the difference in Peter? Before you get to the, the miraculous catch of fish, what, what changed in Peter's uh, mind uh, up to that point uh, from, you know, washing the nets and being focused on what he was doing versus now paying attention to Jesus? And he said, uh, he said something like this. He said, it's easy to ignore Jesus when you think that he's just talking to other people. But if he's talking to you, you've got to pay attention, <laughs> right? I said, wow, pretty good. Include that in my message. And that's really true. You know, we sit and we listen to a message, even one like this, and we say, well, you know, that's, Harry could really use that, or Martha could really learn something from that message, right? But we fail to look at our own lives and say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to teach me? Are you willing to leave everything and follow him? I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not saying everybody should just, you know, stop what they're doing. That's not the point of this. The point is, are we listening for God's voice? Are we spending enough time in his presence daily, in his word and in prayer, saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? It may mean a pretty drastic course change in life, or it might mean something I want you to do less time-wise in that area. Your priorities are a little skewed in the area of, you know, finances or time given to other things. I want you to give that time to me, and I'll show you what I want you to do. Are you satisfied merely making a living? Or are you living to make a difference in God's kingdom? There was a man who wanted to make a difference. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear, businessman who wanted to make a difference in his world. But how? In the summer of 1857, the North Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street, New York City, decided to hire a staff person to reach the immigrants living around their church. Jeremiah Lanfear was chosen for that task. His strategy was to print up leaflets and distribute those to people on the streets, inviting them to join him for a weekly prayer meeting every Wednesday at noon on the third floor at the North Dutch Church on Fulton Street. First prayer meeting was to launch September 23, 1857. When the time arrived, Lanfear alone climbed the stairs of the church, knelt down to pray. For almost half an hour, he knelt there all alone. Then at 12.30, footsteps were heard climbing the stairs. A man entered and without a word knelt down beside Lanfear to pray. By the end of that first hour, six men could be seen kneeling in prayer. Following week, there were 20. By the first week of October, the decision was made to meet daily and their numbers grew to 40. By the fourth week, the number had increased to over 100. Now on October 18th, so just about a month later, when, after this all got started, uh, October 18th of that year, a financial panic hit the city of New York, collapsing the economy and leading to a steep, though brief, recession. Meanwhile, the prayer meetings, the daily prayer meetings now at the North Dutch Church continued to grow till all the rooms of the church were filled and the prayer meetings spilled over into other nearby churches. Within six months, approximately 10,000 businessmen were gathered daily for prayer. And church historians tell us that in the next two years, Approximately one million new believers were added to the churches across America. Jeremiah Lanfear made a difference in his day, didn't he? How did he do it? Through prayer. Focused prayer. Prayer is our ultimate weapon. It's the first. That's the first thing you go to. And I would challenge each one of you, all of us, myself included, spend more time in prayer. Be in God's presence daily. Praying, seeking the Lord of the harvest. 
Next week we'll talk about some aspect of this, making disciples of all nations. But for today it's just prayer. All of us can do that. And uh, he did that through persistent, focused prayer and leading others to join him in that. What's going to be different in your life in the coming week, coming weeks and months? How will what God did in Peter's life affect you and yours? Father, we're grateful for your word. It speaks to us when we listen. You always want to change us, to grow us into the likeness of your son, the Lord Jesus. That is your desire for each one of us. We never fully attain to the fullness of what you have for us until we reach glory. But it is an onward progress, day by day, week by week, month by month. You seek to change us into the likeness of your son, the Lord Jesus. For our part, Father, my prayer is that we would cooperate with you. We'd be willing to make those changes in our life, like those men did, those fishermen who just followed in obedience and followed after Christ and left everything behind. May we seek to find out ways in which we can change what we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, and, uh, and, and seek to glorify you and to bring about that which you desire to do in us and through us for your purposes and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.